Welcome to the Sell the Sizzle podcast. If you need to sell an idea, a product, or a service, this is the show for you. We're going to be sharing sales secrets so you can be a sizzling success. Let's go. And welcome, Sizzlers. This is Mick Holly. I'm so excited today. Uh, season two of Sell the Sizzle. I'm sure you got tired of listening to me and my voice. And season two is all about speaking to luminaries who've helped people, companies grow their sales and their capabilities. And I am delighted, delighted to have on the show Jake Stahl. He's a fractional chief learning officer, and he's going to explain what that is. But I was fascinated to learn that he has trained over 10,000 people in six different countries. And one of his benefits of his capability is he transforms salespeople into relationship architects. I love that. And when a bunch of those architects get together in companies, he's managed to help companies grow their sales threefold. So, Jake, welcome. We need you. (laughs) Mick, thanks for having me. Pardon me. This is a true honor. Thank you. Oh, great, great. And what part of the world are you uh, are, are you are you residing in? I mean, you you must travel a lot. You've been in six countries. I have to ask, Jake, are all those English speaking countries? <laughs> no, they're not. But luckily, all my audiences were. So that was the helpful part. <laughs> okay, very, very good, very, very good. And all I right, will well, answer ta- your question in Norwich, Connecticut. Norwich. Okay, we call it Norwich. We call that Norwich in England. I'm from England originally, (laughs) uh, but I've been in the States for 26 years. So Norwich, I've got to learn to pronounce it correctly so I don't offend anybody. So so, so tell me, Jake, a little bit about your background and, and your career. I think you and I started our career the same way. I bet we have. Uh, my career is 30 years in training and development through a number of different companies. Uh, I kind of got my start through pharmaceutical industry. And then over the past 10 years, I've really diversified quite a bit. I'm now yeah. in 10 different industries. So yeah, we, uh, I'm sure our background is remarkably similar. Yeah, I uh, like you. I started off as a pharmaceutical medical rep, but here's you know one of a couple of the products that I had were uh, were, uh, treated you know mental illness, and as part of my patch, I had all of the psychiatric institutions, which back then were like big prison populations. So I would go into these places. Yeah, it it, it was it was quite bizarre, but but uh, very very educational. So yeah, so you've you've got a background in sales, and now you, you, you tell me what does a what does a fractional uh, chief learning officer mean? That's a great you question, Mick. Of, you, you only work you only work some of the time. Is that, I, I want one of those jobs. <laughs> you know, it, in a way, yes, and in a way, no. Uh, as you know, the the chief learning officer role is nothing more than a gussied up term for head of training and development, VP of training and development, but it kind of sits in the C suite. What fractional means is exactly what you said, Mick. We do the work you need in a fractional period of time. So a company might contract with me for uh, 16 hours a month or 20 hours a month. 
or they may contract with me for three months. And the fractional piece of it comes in that A, I'm part of the C-suite. So I'm part of the decision makers, the people that help shift the company. That's part of the definition of fractional. The second part is I work for you, to your point, for a fraction of the time. So you don't have me 40 hours a week, 52 weeks out of the year. And the last piece of it is I give you all of the experience I have and everything I can bring to the table for a fraction of the price. So you're not going to pay me this whopping salary with benefits and perks and equity in the company. You're just going to pay for what you need. And I'm going to provide you with hopefully more than you need. Fantastic. And what's that secret sauce that you're offering, Jake? What's, uh, tell, tell, tell me about what you've built over that 30-year career that creates these relationship architects. Well, I have a degree in psychology and the human mind has always really fascinated me. But there was really one milestone point in my life. And that's when I first got into sales. I was fascinated by the question, how are you? I marveled at the fact that everybody asked it, yet nobody really cared what the answer was. And you know as well as I do, Mick, when you're in a conversation, when you say, how are you? Unless you're talking to somebody close to you or a family member, you're not expecting to hear a diatribe or how they really are. So I started to get into conditioning. Why are we conditioned to respond the way we do? And, and how can we overcome that? How can we as salespeople get by these little conditioning things that we do out of sheer habit. I'll give you a great example. My wife and I were Christmas shopping and I walked by a guy and our eyes locked and I said, Hey, and he looked at me, he goes, fine. Thanks. How are you? I didn't <laughs> even ask the question, but that's the type of conditioning. So over the past 30 years, I've developed a program that helps you break through that conditioning. And it helps you understand that, from the time you dial the phone and it rings on your customer's side, that phone ring is conditioning. They already have a preformed thing in their head of what's going to happen when they pick up that phone. So the thing that's different about me, Mick, is I don't give you a sales script and tell you that verbiage is everything and, and everything's going to be better. I teach you how to get in and around the psyche of your customers to enable you to have an honest trustful conversation to see if you can genuinely help oh wow this is this is this is interesting I, an image just came into my head i hadn't really thought about it this way jake until you just talked to me about it is that is that when that phone rings it's like um you know pavlov's dog experiment right the <laughs> right. dog starts exactly. crawling the bell the bell you know when, when you hear the phone ringing you're thinking Okay, and and certain expectations and conditioning takes place. You don't even know that, and uh, yeah, uh, that, that's that's fascinating. So yeah, and one thing, Jake, uh, I know when I talk to salespeople, I've like you, I've talked to thousands, trained many, many hundreds. One of the things that, that they really fear the most or dislike doing the most but what I advocate has the most value is, is the cold call. So talk about the conditioning and, and, and how your techniques might, you know, disarm that initial conversation, which is, you know, it's a pattern interrupt for that person on the other end of the phone. They weren't expecting it. That's why it's called cold. <laughs> right. Right. And, you know, you have a great point. That does strike fear into many people's hearts. But there's a couple of things to think about. So first of all, think about the last time 
Think about the last time that your phone rang, your cell phone rang, and you looked at the caller ID and you went, oh, no, I just don't have time for that person. That happens on a business end or on a gatekeeper's end every time the phone rings. You are the caller ID of that person. And they're already trying to think about how to get by that. So the whole idea, Mick, is a pattern interrupt. So I can do this a couple of ways. The first is I can have stark honesty. Hey, Mick, my name is Jake. And yes, I apologize, but this is a cold call. That being said, if you can just give me 20 seconds, I may be able to prove value to to keep us on a little bit longer. You know, you think about how that pattern interrupt, that stark honesty, it's, it's disarming for the other person. It's not something they anticipate. Another way, Mick, to get around that cold call is if you think back to that person on the caller ID you didn't want to talk to, you didn't want to talk to them because your brain does immediate research. <clears throat> Pardon me, I'm getting over a cold. So your brain does immediate research. It says, I've talked with this person before. They dominated the conversation. This was horrible. To get by that as a salesperson, do your research. Let's say I'm calling a transportation company. Hello, this is XYZ Transportation. Hi, my name is Jake. I just wanted to tell you how much I was looking forward to you picking up the phone. I did a bunch of research before I called you today, and I'm amazed at how well you've done over the years. Just right off the bat, again, disarming, not your standard routine, but to break conditioning, you have to break patterns. And that's just two examples of dozens. I do like that uh, second one, Jake, in in that you've clearly uh, communicated, look, I've done some research. I'm not just a tie, you know, tie kicker here. Uh, I have, I have looked your company up. I know what you do. Um, and I think there's a good re- rationale for why we should have a conversation. I think it sets the scene quite well, but it does have that pattern interrupt. It's not that, that initial stumbling across and going straight into, you know, a spiel, which they really don't want to hear. Yeah. And if you think about the pattern interrupt, Mick, think about the psychology of conditioning and perception. If I have, if I'm sick, how many times do we think to ourselves, when am I going to be better again? Am I ever going to feel good again? We start to go down an alleyway that we need to interrupt. So our perception and our conditioning leads us to some strange mindsets. But when we break that, it's amazing how it brings us so quickly back to reality again. I like that. So now we're in, now we're in the now we're in the flow. We've gotten the pattern interrupt over. We've we've earned a little bit of space with that person on the other end of the telephone. Um what what do you what do you then advocate in terms of making that conversation as powerful and as valuable for both parties as possible? So the first part of it is just understanding them and who they are. I really advocate for not selling your product at all for the first one to two minutes you're on the call. Make it your mission to find out about them and not trivial stuff like, are you the decision maker? You know, how much business do you do? It's like, let's say I'm selling health benefits. So my question is, do you really enjoy this process? I mean, how often do you go through this? 
I'm starting to empathize already. And that person's like, you know, I hate even talking to you guys. We have to go through this every year at this time. Wow. So how many times have you wound up switching? So in that first one to two minutes, I don't even want to broach what my product is. Because here's the cool thing that happens. If I start to talk to you about me, Mick, and you and I have not established a relationship, that can sour it really quick. But if I've talked about you for a little bit, Mick, and I've made you feel good about yourself, your tolerance for what I'm about to say grows dramatically. So it's one of those psychological techniques that says, make other people feel good about themselves, empathize with what they do. And the more you do that, and the more you do that, the more they're going to be tolerant of any message that you have. Our problem as salespeople is we dive right in and you've established nothing and you're asking something of them and you just haven't earned the right yet. Yeah, so I think you're saying establish a level of empathy, show some genuine interest. You've been interested in them and that will allow a little bit of reciprocity so that they would then concede and be open to you talking about you or your services. Absolutely, 100%. And Mick, if you think about that in the way of how companies currently do business in sales, they will say, I'm going to, we make a sale one out of every hundred calls. We close a big ticket one out of every 200 calls. But Mick, we don't look at anything else in life like that. If I were to start dating tomorrow, I wouldn't say I have to date 365 people before I can find my match. I study. I look up who they are. Maybe I go on a dating website and I find out more. I, I look at their Facebook. I improve my odds. But in sales, for some reason, a lot of the companies I deal with don't do that. And it's a real disconnect. So your sound is cut out again, Jake. I apologize. Oh, you're back. Yeah, that's okay. So yeah, you were making that you were making the point about doing your research uh, to uh, in order to to improve your odds. So I mean, you've worked with many, many hundreds of companies. I'm sure thousands of people as you uh, uh, talk to. What, what do you see as being the the common pitfalls or challenges that you see that you can you feel the need to correct? One of the biggest common pitfalls to me is that we look at processes like sales and we try to automate them or make them an absolute process. So it's got to be an open objection handling and a close. And again, that's not how we deal with any of our conversations in day to day. So we turn sales into something a little bit more robotic. The other thing we don't do is inspect what's going on. When I start working with a company, I encourage the CEO and the CEO, call up your company, act like a consumer and tell them you're interested and tell me if you like how you're handled or call your customer service group and say you have a concern and see how you're handled and let me know. And I will tell you, Mick, nine out of 10 people come back to me and go, oh my God. Yeah. Okay. I see what you mean. So we become this sales machine and then we don't inspect the impact it's making on our customers. So 
people get to like live in the dark. It's interesting you you use that example. Uh, you can see here that the ten x Jake. I'm <laughs> yep. a member of the. I'm a ten x business coach. I work with Grant Cardone. Great book. And he he's a ten x mentor. And practically every big event that he goes to, he's talking about how you uh, treat your customers, how you respond, because the more rapidly you respond the more chance you have of connecting with those people and the better the impression. So what he generally does, he gets his, his, his cell phone out and he dials his 1-800 number for his, he has a team of marketers who are making outbound calls, customer service people who are answering calls. And if that phone isn't answered in three rings, (laughs) he gets very, very irate. So very quickly, somebody picks up and they always say, yeah, hello, this is uh, uh, Grant Cardone uh, Company. Um, what can I get you help on today? And, you know, it's very, very, you know, trying to trying to help you. Uh, yeah. And it's a very, very powerful thing to inspect. And so the, that's the genuine value and culture that he's built around the organization, around that responsiveness. Um and he also keeps them on the toes because they never know when he's going to be calling. But he knows whether his team is on the ball or not. And for a CEO running a big enterprise, that's that's a that's a, it. Also um, uh, amplifies that value and communicates it to the employees. This is important. This is yeah. why I'm doing it. It's not to check up on you. It's just to emphasise that this is critically important, and we can stand out and differentiate in the marketplace because people are really really bad at responding and answering uh, the telephone. Yeah, and and I think Mick, we're leading into a dangerous area because a lot of people are thinking, well, if AI responds right away, it's going to be great. And I do think there's some value to that, but it really loses that human touch. Like a great example is I bought a big product online the other day, and I had a live representative helping me. And after I gave my credit card and I purchased a product, I noticed a distinct shift in verbiage. And I knew I had been attended by a chatbot. So I wrote in and I said, where'd my rep go? And they said, oh, they had something else to attend to. I'm here right now. I will never, ever buy from that company again. So you took away a live person once you got my credit card and and handed me over to something else. I think we're heading into some dangerous waters where if we don't moderate how AI is used, it, it's going to lead to, it's going to lead to issues. And I, I think AI is very powerful if it's used in the, in the correct fashion. hundred percent. Right. I mean, yep. if, if, if you want some information, I mean, people, when they're first shopping, they want information. So if it can right. send you that information, but then you want somebody, particularly on a more complex transaction or a larger transaction, you want somebody to help you navigate through all of this data, these facts that you've assimilated. Right. Uh, and it gets a little confusing. And somebody with the voice of authority who's seen other people buy, know where some of the uh, uh, major areas of concern are can explain it. That's hugely, hugely powerful. So AI should take away those mundane tasks for that human interaction, building that relationship, building that trust formula as you talk about in building that relationship architect is what's really going to, A, uh, you know, seal the deal. But uh, Jake, as you mentioned, 
you, you should be looking at customers for life. Right? Right. It's not a transaction. Um, Agreed. We, we should be able to serve these people and that company didn't serve you well, you're certainly not going to be, you know, a customer for life. Right. Yep, I agree. Now, you have a, a book coming out, I understand. Yeah, uh, hopefully in May, fingers crossed, hopefully in May, I have a book coming out called The 210 Rule, Why Cadence Trumps Content. And uh, it it really applies to not only salespeople, but it applies to trainers public speakers, uh, the boardroom to the living room. It's my philosophy that cadence in a conversation is supremely important over just about anything else. Well, tell me what you, tell me what you mean by cadence. This is very curious. Sure. So the cadence, by my definition, is the back and forth in a conversation. And Mick, you know this well as a podcaster. If you have a guest that does a back and forth you, it makes for an entertaining podcast. But if you have a guest that talks for 40 minutes and, and doesn't want to kind of scale back, it can really start to lose people. So my philosophy and what I found over the past 30 years of teaching in six countries, by the way, this was consistent along every country I, I was in. What, is were the, that, what, were those, what were those six countries just for, out of curiosity, Jay? Sure. Uh, it was actually Germany, Japan, China, Canada, and the U.S. Did I miss Whoa, one? You, you've got yeah. a lot of air miles there. Yeah, I got a couple. And uh, so... The 210 rule basically says that for every two minutes, you have an interaction with your customer. So don't go farther than that. Uh, you can go shorter than that if you want, but don't go beyond two minutes. And at the end of every 10 minutes, make sure that you kind of round it all up. You summate it. So Mick, I've been talking for the past 10 minutes. Let me just make sure we're on the same page. Do you have any questions? The important thing uh, to understand about the 210, Mick, is that it's the police tape around the timing. It can be every 30 seconds you interact and every two minutes you round things up, or it can be every minute you interact and every five minutes you try to, to summate. But what it does is it creates a cadence. I talk, you talk, I talk, you talk. And then we summarize to make sure we're on the same page. So all I did was wrap a timer around it and start to teach it. And the results were amazing. Yeah, I like that, Jake. Uh, my my uh, great sales mentor was a character, uh, Jerry. He said, "Mick, you've got you've got two ears and one mouth. I want you to use them in those proportions." Which was a very basic message of don't talk all of the time. But I think you've brought a level of sophistication and clarity to it, Jake. Which is, uh, you know, just don't get into a monologue or a soliloquy and just rant and, and try and get all of your points out, you know, in 10 minutes, you know, stop and, you know, ask questions. And then in the summary, you're demonstrating a very powerful sales skill, which is active listening. Did I hear you correctly? And it gives you an opportunity to perhaps say what you heard in a different set of words so that the person you're talking to goes, oh, Jake's really got it. He's listened to me and he's playing it back, not by rote, but he's interpreted it, put it in his own words. I'm feeling that we are communicating. We have a dialogue, not a one-way conversation. So I, I like that 210 
you know, cadence, two minutes, stop, ask a couple of questions, move along. And then, you know, in an hour of meeting, if you didn't check, you were on the right course 10 minutes in, you, you, you could be in a wholly wrong destination by the end of it. So I love the little checkpoint and to help you recalibrate and redirect based on their feedback. And you bring up an excellent point, Mick, that you can get so far out that it's tough to turn back. They actually did some research on this, and I found this to be true, that for every 10 minutes you talk, you generate about two minutes of questions with whoever you're talking to. And whether that's a... a Stop, stop, stop (laughs) there, Jake. Stop. Scissors, listen to that. Every 10 minutes you talk, you generate two minutes worth of questions, which which are now in your head. Right, and, and they're, they're they're desperate to leap out of there, but but if you don't give your listener the chance, then their head starts to get scrambled. I guess exactly right, and then something miraculous happens when, and this is something I'm not sure I hear often enough in the sales training realm, is that the listening is great and the going back and forth is great, but here's the benefit to salespeople is if you and I have a good back and forth and I'm generally interest, genuinely interested, you start to like me. And what happens is me making you feel good is what makes you like me. And what that does is that sets a precedent for conversations to come. So I'm not only helping myself with this conversation, but when I call Mick back, if we had a great conversation, he felt good, he's going to pick up that phone. And he's going to be very open to what I have to say. So the benefit is, is of course, the active listening. But man, it's that feel good. It's that little bit of an endorphin rush you get from being heard and acknowledged and wanting to have that happen again. So let me ask you this, Jake, um, in terms of uh, you know, having the right kind of cadence, what's your perspective on a sales script? It's a good question. I have a love-hate relationship with sales scripts. So in the beginning, when a rep's just getting started, I don't think the value of a sales script can be oversold. I think they need a foundation, a backbone from which to start. The issue that I have with the sales script is that once a representative finds their voice and they find their pattern and they find their cadence, the script should be tossed aside. One of the things I emphasize highly is being adaptive. And being adaptive means that your script isn't always going to go as planned. And if you get good enough at conversation and good enough with allowing a cadence, you're every two minutes when you do an interaction, it's going to give you a pause to readjust. Every 10 minutes when you ask to to summarize and ask for any questions, you get a pause to readjust. So the 210 rule factors into the cadence to hopefully decrease the uh, reliance on a script. I think if a person's on a script after the first two weeks, you need to look for somebody else. And, And that's not meant to be insulting. It's meant to say that salespeople are some of the most gifted orators on the planet. And being a gifted orator means you don't have to rely on a script. You can adapt on the fly. I hope you I mean, don't get too much hate mail on that. 
But, no, I, I, I support what you're saying, Jake. I believe that in the beginning, a sales script is absolutely essential because you're, you're a little at sea, you're a little nervous, and, and, you need, and if you don't have a roadmap to follow, you can get lost. Yep. So you need to have a script that's got a series of steps to it. I know I've gotten this far, and I know I need to say these things, and it gives you the ability to um, at least have something that helps you marshal your thoughts. But but uh, what what I'm thinking in what I've learned in in what you said, Jake, is in the script itself, I would build the two ten. I would actually build in the script two minutes, ask a question, and then after ten minutes, pause and say, "This is this is what I'm. I think I heard. Is that is would that be your understanding?" And you build that little bit of. Um, flexibility even though when I'm, I'm i'm still pretty staccato i'm following the rules i've got my training wheels on uh it does give you a little bit of that and eventually you know you you can you can let that go the flow comes the voice comes as you've talked about and now we can adapt but we must never forget these points where we want to give that opportunity for that feedback for that interaction for that cadence to change for the for the for you, for you to give your you know your uh, prospect the opportunity to you know give their voice to that conversation. So I, I, I like that the script. You know, have the two ten cadence built into it until you can get flow, and then as you become more skilled, just remind yourself. Sometimes we get a little excited and we forget the two ten, don't we? Yeah, and one thing I tell people is that everybody can do this. We do it as kids. Think of two five-year-olds talking to each other. Oh, that's my mom. Which one is yours? I like black. What do you like? I really dig trucks. Do you like trucks? You know, it's a natural 210, and, and it's even shorter than that, right? It's 30 seconds every two minutes, whatever you want to call it. I just truly feel that when people get on the phone to sell a product or as entrepreneurs, they go to sell themselves, somehow that just goes away and we shift into another gear. And my job is to get people to harken back to that and redevelop it. And with some people, it's a day. With other people, it's weeks. So, uh, Jake, let me do a 210 on you. Let's see if I've understood what you've said. Um, I, I'm, I'm taking away three powerful thoughts that uh, our sizzlers listening to this call can take away and really utilize. Number one, it's it's overcoming that Pavlovian conditioning that when the, the phone rings, right, using the, the normal words isn't going to get you there, but some kind of pattern interrupt is really, really, which is either being very, very straightforward or saying something that you learned about their company, and that's the reason for your call. Um, uh, secondly, that... Um, I love that this one that for every ten minutes of, of of speaking you generate two minutes of questions. Therefore, two ten gives you the opportunity at those points to ask, "Do you have any questions?" Because we know that they do. Because I've been speaking for a while, and and uh, it, it, the one thing I would encourage is that not to become then another conditioning. You know, we say, you "Got any questions?" When you're not really expecting them to say anything and the prospect's not expecting to say anything, they just let you move on and you, and you sort of sit back and no, no, really, 
um, you know, have been talking for quite some time. I'm, I know you will have some questions. And then you pause and stay silent and give them the opportunity to then vocalize their questions as opposed to just, you know, the bell going and you just keep barreling on. So and did I... Go ahead. Did, did I did 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 I did I summarize some of your teachings appropriately Fantastic. there? Fantastic. Thank you for that. And and Mick, you hit on something really cool too, is the silence piece. They just did a study not long ago that found that Americans in general find it very difficult to deal with up to four seconds of silence. They found in Japan they can deal up to eight seconds of silence with no problem in a conversation. So silence is so important because if you can stay quiet, it almost forces the other person to talk. Scientists actually think it triggers the fight or flight sy syndrome in your brain. And that's why we get so uncomfortable with silence. But Mick, what you said is brilliant. After you ask that question, just be quiet and let them share what they're thinking. I think it's another element of cadence, Jake. It's that, you know, we've now also slowed down and created a moment for that vacuum to be filled with thoughts coming from, coming from them. And uh, we get so excited sometimes we're trying to get to the close and we haven't really given the opportunity to hear what the prospect really wants to talk about, really wants to say. Fabulous. Well, look, I got a couple of questions for you, Jake, that uh, I ask all my guests. Um, uh, so I'm curious, what was your first sale? Well, this is an odd one because it's not a traditional sale. Um, when I was living at home many, many moons ago, I got my first tattoo. And I think that my sale was selling my mom not to fly off the deep end. And it was a great sale. I had, boy, I had nailed this script. I was ready to, to defend everything. It, it was really well laid out. And um, I, I sold her not to kill me or, or to use a, you know, cheese grater to get it off my back. But I remember it was a terrifying first sale. And this was when I was in my teens. So um, I think that's the first real life-changing sale I've ever made. Excellent. Excellent. I can see you're a bit of a rebel. I like it. <laughs> I like it. And then, and then the second question, what was the most creative way you got a new customer? Uh, so when I was in pharmaceuticals, we had a product that, as you know, it takes him a while to, to kick in and to become effective. And we had a competitor that became effective a long time later after you had taken our product. So one technique I used to use was if I presented to a clinician at lunchtime and my product kicked in, I think it was at that time, and it's been a while since I've sold it, but it, it, the product kicked in like 14 to 16 hours later. And so I would set my alarm and I would call the answering service and I would say, don't bother the doctor, just take a note and tell him Jake said our product just kicked in. Then I would set another alarm and I would call them later on for when my competitor's product kicked in and I would leave another message for the answering service. And it was amazing. It, it really worked because... 
in my earlier days of sales, I was that guy that fact vomited. So I knew they weren't taking everything away. And so I thought maybe by hitting home when we kick in versus how our competitors kicked in, uh, it would make a difference. And I can tell you pretty conclusively, it made a huge difference because I would inevitably get a call from a doctor. Somebody saying, I can't believe you called me at 2 a.m. just to tell me that. So it, it was very impactful. <laughs> That's a great story. And I think you shared with me before we come into the studio that you were the top salesperson globally for your company. So yeah, that's, that's a really innovative approach. I love it. I love it. Thank you. Well, well look, Jake, um, I've enjoyed speaking with you today. You shared some really, really good, uh, uh, points, which I'll include in the show notes. Um, how can people get in, in contact with you? I have two key ways people can get in touch with me. You can either go to jakestallconsulting.com and reach me there, or my preferred method of communication is reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm on under Jake Stall on LinkedIn. Uh, I have a newsletter called Fresh from Jake's Mind Lab, where I put out weird tips like, you know, two minutes of questions for every 10 minutes of presenting or, you know, how long silence is based on culture. So please feel free to reach out to me there or my website. Fabulous. Fabulous. And and that's Jake, J-A-K-E, and Stahl is S-T-A-H-L, listeners. So you'll find him on uh, on LinkedIn. Um, so thanks for uh, sharing your learnings uh, across those six countries and 10,000 people. Uh, and you distilled it into three beautiful nuggets that uh, – the audience can play with and practice with. So Jake, thank you for coming on the show and thank good you, luck Mick. with you. What's the title of your book? When's it going to come out? Uh, the book I'm hoping again, fingers crossed May, <clears throat> May of 2024. And it's going to be the 210 rule. Why cadence trumps content. Aha. Well, look out for that. I'd like a signed copy, please, Jake. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you. And, uh, 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 listeners, we'll see you on the show next week. Goodbye.